Right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you so much, Sally. Those words that we... Uh, <clears throat> I've got a bit of a sore throat going on this morning, so I'm really sorry uh, if that is distracting. But those words that we, uh, that we just sang are incredible. That the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Do we believe that? Or more importantly, do we know that and do we experience that in our day-to-day living and lives? It sounds or seems almost beyond belief, doesn't it? I want you to think back over the past 24 hours, maybe even the past week. Did you know that resurrection power living in you as you shopped, as you worked, as you commuted to work, as you looked after kids, as you dealt with aging and sick relatives, as you handled problems, as you spun plates, as you juggled responsibilities? Were you aware of resurrection power living in you as you did all of that? And yet it is an explicit biblical truth. It's more than a song lyric. It's a good song lyric, but it's more than a song lyric. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So the same Spirit who powerfully brought Jesus back to life lives in us. That's pretty clear. So unambiguous. And as we turn back to Ephesians chapter 1 and to that prayer that Sally has been so helpfully leading us in this morning, Paul's prayer for the saints at Ephesus, we discover that one of his specific prayer requests is that the saints in that place would know God's power in their day-to-day lives. And I reckon we, we all need that prayer. I left off kind of mid-flow last Sunday. And what I'd started to do was I'd started looking at Paul's three prayers for the saints in Ephesus, which start at verse 15, run through to verse 23. But I stopped after the second prayer, just before I got to the one about power. And I said last week that if you're ever, and I I thought it was brilliant the way Sally led us in prayer this morning, but I thought, I said last week that if you're ever stuck or you're ever unsure about what to pray for someone, I mean, if you don't know what to pray for the person sitting beside you this morning, then these three prayers of the Apostle Paul are worth adopting. They're worth using. Here are three specifics that never lose their relevance, their importance, their bait. And the first is, that they would know God better. It's verse 17 there. That's Paul's prayer, that that the saints would know God better and that the Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation that every single saint has, that that Holy Spirit would enable us to know God better. Pray that for one another. Pray that for the person sitting beside you this morning, that they would know God more. And Paul's second prayer is that they would know the hope to which they have been called. Now, hope is one of those words that means different things to different people. I didn't really deal with this last week, although a few people spoke to me after the service, and so I'm going to try to deal with this again this morning. Many, many people today, and maybe I implied other ways, and I apologize if it did last week, but many, many people today do have hope. They do have hopes and dreams. 
But the hope that most people today have and possess is a kind of wishful thinking, fingers crossed, wait and see, is it gonna happen or is it not sort of hope. And so for example, right, here's, here's an example. I hope Chelsea beat Everton at five past two today. Okay, sorry, Stephen Pollock. I also hope that Arsenal beat Spurs at 4.30 today in order that Chelsea will win the league. I also hope that Chelsea will win the FA Cup. But here's the thing, there is no guarantee, well actually, no there isn't. There is, there is no guarantee that any of that is gonna happen. No matter how much I hope for it. I hope the sun will shine this week. I hope to live a long and a healthy life. We, we all have those kind of hopes. Hope to have a good holiday this year. But the thing is, it is a hope so, it's not a no so. It's a hope so, it's not a no so. Biblical hope, the hope that Paul prays for the saints to know is entirely different. It's far superior. It's a hope that's not driven by wishful thinking, but it's a hope, and here's the difference, it's a hope that's anchored in God, and therefore it's a sure, it's a certain hope. It's anchored in God's word, it's solid, it's definite, it's assured. And so the hope to which we have been called, as we thought about last week, is eternity forever with God as his inheritance, as his eternal possession, and that has got nothing to do with crossing your fingers. That's got nothing to do with wondering, well, will it happen or will it not? That kind of hope is clear. And that is the hope that Paul is praying for these saints to know. So the second prayer request for the person sitting beside you this morning, whether it's a family member, whether it's a friend, whether it's a random stranger, whether it's a brother and sister in Christ, is that they would know ultimate, concrete eternal hope to which they've been called and they'll never lose sight of it. And then we come to Paul's third prayer. That was at this point I bailed out last week. And so let's look at verse 19 if you have Ephesians 1 open and I do want to spend some time on it. And so Paul prays, and here's his third prayer, it's on the screen, that they would know God's Par, or to be entirely accurate, that they would know God's incomparably great part. What a prayer to pray. To know the immeasurable greatness of God's power in us and for us who believe. Again, and I, I said this last week about the first prayer request, but if I, I was to ask you to put your hand up if you wanted to know that. If you wanted to know God's incomparably great power in your life right now, tomorrow morning, as you walk back into that classroom, that office, that factory, that hospital ward, if you wanted to know God's incomparably great power, stick your hand, I can't tell you, most of us would put our hands in there. Like who wouldn't, who is going to refuse, who is going to reject knowing supernatural power in their daily living? None of us. But what, what Paul then does is absolutely fascinating. He, he's praying this, but as he prays for the saints at Ephesus and for us to know this incomparably great power in our lives, 
he clarifies what it's like, the kind of power he's talking about, that he's praying for for the saints. He describes this power, he spells it out, he confirms what it's like, and in doing this, he refers to three things. There's going to be a lot of threes this morning, but he refers to three things that this power has done, and it's all got to do with Jesus. And so he says, see this power that I want you to know, this is the power that raised Jesus. Not only is it the power that raised Jesus, it's the power that exalted Jesus. Not only is it the power that raised Jesus and exalted Jesus, it's the power that has positioned Jesus. And so to start with, he says, this power that I want you to know is the same one. Now we're back to the song. Now we're back to where I started. It's the same mighty strength. Look at verses 19 and 20. It's the same one that was used in the resurrection. That's the power I'm praying for you to know. Same one. It's this extraordinary, out-of-the-world kind of power that that Paul is praying for the saints to know. It's a death-defeating power that raised Jesus from the dead to a new dimension of human existence. So this same power that raised Jesus lives in us. And Paul wants us to know it. But more than that, that same power that God used to raise Christ has raised us up. The same power that raised Jesus raises us. Now, there is a spiritual dimension to this. I know that. We are brought from spiritual death to spiritual life, and and we'll see that. But there's also a reference here to the fact that one day saints will physically rise again. Death is not the end. Death does not have the final say. And so whenever and elsewhere, and Paul is writing to Christians in Corinth, he says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. And so this power that raised Jesus is going to raise us. God has done it before. Easter Sunday proves that and he will do it again. Christ's resurrection guarantees our resurrection. And so this power that that Paul longs for the saints to know, it it is life and it's death altering. And if you kind of link it then to his second prayer of hope, that is what gives us certain hope of our eternal future with God, because God has raised Jesus, and one day he's going to raise us. So death does not have the final say. Death has been defeated. We will live forever. That's our hope. Paul wants these saints to know that and to know the power that lives in them, that raised Jesus, has raised us, and one day will raise us. But secondly, in verse 20, Paul says, this part didn't just raise Jesus from the dead, it it seated him, It, it exalted him at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. And then he goes on to say, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, far above every name that is evoked, not only in this present age, and then get this again, but in the age to come. So there's reference to forever, the age that is to come. Again, Paul said this, death is not the end. Yes, there is a present age, but there's one still to come. And this power that Paul wants saints to know, 
This power has exalted Jesus to a place of supreme honor and executive authority. He is over all. He is above everything, every power, every dominion, every other name. Jesus is enthroned. Jesus is in charge. It's that kind of power we're talking about. And knowing that Jesus is in charge and Jesus is enthroned, changes everything, does it not? Surely it changes everything. This is what Paul was hoping for these saints in Ephesus, that you will see things differently because Jesus is no longer dead, but he is raised back to life. But not only is he raised back to life, he is exalted high above, over every power, every dominion, every other name that is invoked. And therefore, you can have confidence in this Jesus that he is in control. That he knows what is going on. That he has got a handle on things. And therefore you can follow him in this present age. And you can also follow him in the age to come. And so this is, as we said in week one, this is cosmic. The power that raised and exalted Jesus is ours to know. Pray it for one. Pray it for the person beside you that did know it. And then thirdly, raised, exalted Jesus. And this kind of follows on from this idea. Verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything. That's where God's power where we read, you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Jesus is the complete fulfillment and expectation of that psalm and so many other scriptures. And therefore, this power that raised, that exalted, that positioned Jesus, it was predicted and it has now delivered. And again, guess what, says Paul? You can know it. You can know this power. And then just to finish this section at the end of chapter 1, look again at the end of verse 22, start of verse 23, because what Paul then says is, God has done all this powerful stuff. That's not a good word. Paul has done all these powerful things, raised, exalted, positioned Jesus. Why? For the church. Get that? For us. God has done this for the church, which is his body, the death, the resurrection, the exaltation of Jesus are part and parcel of God's and Christ's demonstration of his extraordinary love for his people. He did it all for his saints who here and elsewhere in scripture are described as his body. Jesus is the head He's not only head over everything, but he's head of the church. And we're his body, which draws attention to and confirms the fact that we're in close connection, we're in close relationship with him. We then can know that our head watches over us and protects us and guides us and guarantees our hope and our future. And so to sum up, Paul prays for the saints that they may know God better, that they know the hope to which they're called, this certain hope that's not cross your fingers, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen, but this certain hope to which they've been called, and thirdly, that they will know the incomparably great power of God that raised, that exalted, that positioned Jesus. And so we're talking serious power, and he did it all for us.
his church. Three great prayers, or one prayer with three specific requests. Let's move on. Into chapter two, we're going to stand and read God's word in a moment, not just yet, but we're going into chapter two. We're only going to do the first three verses. Because having affirmed their identity, if you were here the first week we looked at this series, we looked at those 11 I am statements as Paul confirmed the identity of these saints. And then he's told them he's praying for them, and he hasn't only told them that he's praying for them, he's told them what he's praying for, for them. But then what he does is the start of chapter two, he presses rewind. Paul takes them back to remind them what they were, what they once were. Yes, everything's different now. They're different now. But Paul's really keen that these saints don't forget how far they've come. He's really keen these saints don't lose sight of the remarkable journey they've been on. He doesn't want them to become arrogant or proud in this idea that I am a saint, that I am a believer, that I am chosen, that I am adopted. No, no. What Paul wants to do is say, let's, let's press rewind for a moment. Let's think of what you were. And for us this morning who are saints, and I know that that's the majority of us sitting in this church, this hall this morning. For us who are saints, this that Paul does in these first three verses provides a graphic reminder of who we were, of our previous state and condition. But you know what it also does? It highlights the distressing current state and condition of not yet saints. And in many ways, this gets hard at this point this morning as we go through this book. And I recognize there may be some people here this morning who are not yet saints. But sometimes we, we sadly, tragically forget how far we've come and what we once were. So, if you are able, can I invite you to stand with me for the public reading of God's word? And I'm just going to read the first three verses, and I know some of you are going to be really frustrated with me that I'm stopping there. Because why? Well, nobody likes to end on a negative note. And now you who know God's word will know that from verse four, it gets all so positive. So why, David, are you stopping at verse three? Well, let me say, sometimes it's good to recognize the sheer scale of the negativity and pause there for a while before you get to the good bit. And we're gonna pause and consider the sheer scale of the negativity for at least a week. Sometimes you need to recall just how appalling your situation was before you can fully appreciate just how amazing your situation now is. And I know I forget this. And you, says Paul, this first one, should be, sorry, uh, there it is. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Grab a seat. 
you were dead, says Paul. Do you know, it, it doesn't get much more bleak than that. Paul's statement about the spiritual state and condition of men and women apart from God is stark. It, it's shocking, and I'll guarantee you, for many people today, it's actually quite offensive. They're not simply dying. We all are. But they're dead. They're gone. They're lost. They're deceased. And, and the reason that they're dead is, or rather, it's traced to the trespasses and sins in which they once walked. And the Bible makes it really clear, and Paul certainly does elsewhere, that we all walk in those from the word go. Because we all have sinned. I know this isn't popular. We all have sinned. There's no exceptions. We're all sinful from birth, as David declares and admits and confesses in Psalm 51. And therefore, we're all spiritually dead from the get-go. And as Paul reminds them of this fact and this reality, he also highlights what has kept them or what did keep them walking that path as spiritual zombies. What directed them? What was it that influenced them? What was it that controlled their steps? The steps of so much of humanity today. And then in a nutshell, says Paul, it's the world, the flesh, and the devil, only that's not the order they come in here, but that's how we tend to refer to them, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These now spiritually alive saints were dead, and they were kept dead. They were held captive by three things. The ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and the cravings of their flesh. Now, I know we, we could spend quite a while on those, but let me make a brief comment about each. So the ways of the world, what are, what are those? They're the ways of this world that clash with God's ways. They're ways of doing life and living that have no reference to God. Ways that are all around us. Secular ways, oppressive ways, dehumanizing ways, unjust ways, manipulative ways, godless ways. Ways that are characterized by different values and priorities. Ways that take us in all kinds of different directions but ultimately lead us nowhere. Ways that are oblivious to God and don't lead to life. They don't lead to real life. They are ways of this world that keep people spiritually lost, disconnected, dead. And according to Paul, saints, we all used to walk in those ways. Many still do. And then the ruler of the kingdom of the air, it's a direct reference to Satan. In chapter four and chap chapter six, Paul's gonna call him out and gonna to refer to him as the devil. But he is the one we blindly used to follow. He's the enemy 
of the human soul. He has been since day one. He tempts and he entices. He's the father of lies. He's the prowling lion looking for people to devour. He does all he can to ensure that people who are born spiritually dead stay spiritually dead. His influence is toxic. And many of us used to walk in his ways as well. And then thirdly, the cravings of the flesh, which is primarily a reference to our fallen, self-centered human nature that leads to thoughts and to actions that are opposed to God, contrary to God. And elsewhere, Paul goes on to list some of these acts of the flesh, these cravings of the human flesh, the fallen nature, sexual immorality and hatred and jealousy and selfish ambition and envy. And so the list goes on and on. And again, those things are all around us, but actually they're embedded within us. And they just keep people separated from God. Lost dead. And so Paul here reminds the saints at Ephesus that this was your story. You were dead in the world and the flesh and the devil held you in that place. And as he says in verse 3, all of them Although what Paul actually says in verse 3, if you notice, is all of us lived among them. So he included himself here and he includes each of us sitting in this room this morning. All of you found yourselves here at one time. And as he finishes this rather bleak section, he ends by identifying the inevitable consequence. Because there are consequences. There is an upshot. There is a result. He says that you were as we were, as all spiritually dead people are, objects of wrath. Objects of God's wrath. Some translations, children of wrath. And although that doesn't sit well, it never has done with lots of people. It remains part and parcel of who God is. And there's no avoiding it. And the question is, well, what is God's wrath? It's his personal, righteous, constant hostility towards evil, his refusal to compromise with it, his resolve to condemn it. It's not about spite. It's not about revenge. It's not about God losing his temper because he's having a bad day. It's not about God being subject to mood swings. It is simply ingrained in God's character that he must, he must fairly punish sin because God is just. And therefore, these saints who were dead in transgressions and sins, who did follow the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the cravings of the flesh, they were heading for... They were on a collision course with God's wrath and utter despair. But then, then you come to the first two words of verse four. And they're on the screen. But... God, 
but God. And it's those two words that transformed their story and their future. It's those two words that have transformed ours, and we'll unpack them next week. But for now, we're going to stop. We're going to stop at the but God, which as I said earlier, is going to frustrate the life out of some of you. But you know, sometimes it's good, as it must have been for these saints in Ephesus, to be reminded of the negatives and what they have been rescued from before they can celebrate the riches and the excitement of what they've been rescued to and how. Thank God there is a but God. There is a but God in the big story. The story doesn't finish at the end of verse 3. There is a big a but God in the big story. There is a but God in these saints' stories. There's a but God in many of our stories. But let's never, never forget that for many, many people in our world, they haven't discovered the but God. And therefore, they remain spiritually dead. They remain following the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of this era, and the cravings of their flesh. And as we go from here soon, three things. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for them and let's tell the but God aspect of the story, of our story. Secondly, let us never forget what we once were so that we will never forget what we now are. And thirdly, let us keep praying for one another that we will know God's power as we return to our front lines. The same power that raised, exalted, and positioned Jesus as head of everything is ours to know. To him be the glory. Amen.